You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com slash resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive, and today we have a wonderful guest, Charlotte Prilliman, who is uh, Healthicity's Regional Vice President of Audit Services. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. Hi, CJ. Thanks. We're glad that you're here. I know that you've uh, been on some uh, prior episode, and so we're welcoming you back. And uh, just to kind of remind folks what you do a little bit before we jump into our our conversation today, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit and telling our audience a little bit about what you do and, and your experience in the area? Sure, I'm glad to. And thanks again for inviting me. Um, my name is Charlotte Prilliman. I currently serve as the Regional Vice President for Health City Audit Services and uh, come with about, as much as I hate to admit it, 30 years in the field uh, <laughs> and have been uh, involved in coding and auditing and compliance planning and, and all of those various and sundry activities in a number of uh, capacities. Currently, uh, I assist our uh, leadership with um, subject matter expertise to ensure that all of our team is really well-prepared and well-tuned into this ever-changing landscape. Yeah, and so you you are uh, you must have been a prodigy starting at five years old, um, if you've been doing it oh, for, 30, don't for I 30 wish. years. <laughs> and uh, I know that you work, Charlotte, with... Uh, auditors on on the professional side, both uh, here at Healthicity as well as with clients, but you're also interacting with clients. And um, so you kind of eat and breathe and, and live uh, auditing from uh, E&M and a professional service and, and, and other areas as well. I thought it would be great for us to talk about um, the differences and, and the nuances of medical decision-making, that element of an E&M service uh, versus or comparing to medical necessity. And I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that area. Um, maybe we can kind of just start with, you know, those terms, medical decision-making and medical necessity. You get coders, maybe beginning coders or auditors, as well as providers, physicians who hear both those terms in the course of a conversation about compliance or audits and that sort of thing. And they might confuse the two as the same thing. What are your thoughts about those terms and how they are similar or different? Well, you're exactly right. Um, those terms are often incorrectly used interchangeably. They have distinctly different meanings. Um, medical necessity is... Uh, the foundation for payment for all medical services. And we, we find the original or the beginning statements 
about medical necessity being the overarching criteria all the way back into the Social Security Act. Right. Uh, it's been updated and brought forward, and our various Medicare carriers and, and uh, insurers have added some some clarification language surrounding medical necessity. But the, the bottom line is, is that's why a provider decides to provide a service for a patient. And the, the intent, of course, is that the government feels like they should pay for services that are appropriate to the care of an individual. And of course, Congress has expanded Medicare's coverage over the years. Uh, and the original earliest forms was only for illness. Now we have some preventive services that are also covered. Right. It still um, comes under that umbrella of necessity. Now, complexity of medical decision-making, or, or shortcut to an MDM acronym, is a tool, uh, a calculation tool. It is not a clinical term. The complexity of medical decision-making is intended to somehow or another quantify a provider's cognitive work in a specific encounter with a patient. And, you know, one, one of the advantages of, of um, talking to somebody who's been around forever is back in the day when E&M codes were introduced in 1992, shortly thereafter when the, what we now fondly call the 95 documentation guidelines were introduced, uh, Medicare, at that time they were HICS, now CMS, right. uh, put on a series of train-the-trainers webinars and I was fortunate enough to participate in one of those sessions. Um, I still have my, the original little booklet they gave me because, hey, uh, you know, at heart, I'm one of those yeah, audit hold, coders that keeps stuff. Hold on to that. It, you know, it could go in the Museum of Coding. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> we could start one. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe I should. My family thinks I should. They think I'm a hoarder. Um, yeah. When it comes to coding materials, we all do. Right. Uh, but anyway, back back in, in those conversations, Hickel was very clear to say that the terminology, the, the complexity of MDM as a part of a evaluation management code is not to be confused with medical necessity, the overarching criteria for any service. Right. And uh, it's so easy to get them mixed up. And one of the things that I recall from those conversations uh, was the explanation that the AMA's codes, the E&M codes, for established patient encounters require two of three key elements, history examination or complexity of medical decision-making. And the reason it's written that way is that in certain medical circumstances, and, and the example that, that has stayed with me low these many years is uh, an oncology practice who's seen patients in, in follow-up care, their disease may be um, stable as of this moment, no no life-threatening events are happening today during this 20-minute encounter, yet the patient is ultimately suffering from a, a um, 
terminal illness. Right. So the calculation, that MDM calculation, is going to reflect, and, and of course, all of you auditors out there are familiar with the terminology of, you know, one stable problem. Right. And even with the high risk factor that reduces, and I'm using air quotes when I say reduce, it creates a uh, complexity of medical decision-making of straightforward. Right. With, if confused with medical necessity, would drive all of those services to the very lowest level. And I, I think just even common sense tells us that patients who are battling those kinds of diseases will have services throughout the, their course of care that that vary in intensity and certainly would not all be the very lowest care, even though that calculation would look that way. Right. Or on the contrary, the very highest, right? So you could have some, Correct. especially nowadays with cancer treatments that, um, you know, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to die. There's there's so many new therapies out there that, and it's complex. It's a case by case um, determination, of course. But you know, there may be somebody who is diagnosed with cancer and they're living, you know, three, four, five, six years. Not every single visit with the oncologist is necessarily going to be that highest medical decision making, right? Absolutely. I'm. I tell people one of the the. Um, activities that is part of my job is I often am, am called on to talk with providers and, and help them understand their um, leveling. And in the days of EMRs now, we have so much information in every single note. And I'm, I have been known to say our patients don't come to us by way of a code book. Right. Um, each, each patient encounter it reflects a, a unique individual and their circumstances and right. you know just have everything at a certain level just is is out of the realm of, of what even makes sense right i mean because and you mentioned the e electronic health records there's so much now available at the fingertips to to of the provider to paint a picture and to and to check all those boxes so you know i'm going to come from a, my provider perspective for a moment and think, oh, hello, Sharla, you're my auditor or my educator. Um, look, my electronic medical record has all of this history. It has all of this exam. It has all of this decision making that I've outlined and the electronic medical records even helping me um, fill in all the blanks, so to speak. But just because you can document a pretty note, and now, now I'm getting <laughs> a little um, smart alecky, but just because you can document a pretty note doesn't mean that it is medically necessary for that level five to be reported, right? Am I in the right ballpark? Uh, oh, you're exactly home run over the fence in the ballpark. Um, you know, I even before the days of electronic records, right? those of us who audit could write a note exactly. that would look like the level five. And I'm not licensed to take care of people. I don't have that knowledge. Um, and, and if that is that to me, that's a, a demonstration perhaps of medical necessity. I can write something down right here in my office without it, any patients, without no, any authority to see a patient and make it look like a record that supports a high level service, but right. it wouldn't be, would it? Of course not. 
That's right. And, you know, so much of what we ask in terms of documentation to, to validate services does rely on the words that are selected to, to paint that picture. But it has to be a picture of what really happened between provider and patient and what that patient, what that provider needed to do for and with that patient to enhance their health. Yeah. So what do you do? Like, so I know that you guys are auditing not just E&Ms, right? But you do, you're auditing procedures right. as well. And and from a, as a compliance officer, I've seen uh, cases, legal cases and settlements where uh, the doctor, like, just like you said, I could, I could describe or dictate a beautiful note. And now this is in the realm, let me just throw out an example in the realm of, of cardiac uh, catheterization. Um, this was a, this was a case that was in uh, Tennessee a few years back where the note read beautifully, right? So if you're a coder or an auditor and you read the procedure note for the cardiac catheterization, you would be able to code it and, and code it with all of these codes perfectly. But was it medically necessary for that doctor to even perform that cardiac catheterization? And that's where this particular physician uh, got in trouble because he was performing cardiac caths on patients where the blockage was not at a medical, from a medical perspective, um, it wasn't severe enough to be doing those, but he was doing them. And the government came in and enforced against that, mainly because you're putting that patient at risk just to give them a cardiac catheterization, um, when really the risks, the benefits don't outweigh the risks in some circumstances. And so that was a major settlement, not because their documentation was poor, but because the government contended that there, it wasn't medically necessary for him to be doing these in the first place. So if you have a situation like that, how do you explain to coders or auditors, look, you're auditing just off of the medical record today. We're not doing a medical necessity audit because that would require kind of a clinical uh, perspective or examination of where was this patient's uh, health. Can you comment on that at all? What do you tell coders that are looking at beautifully written notes, but then how do they decide if it's medically necessary for that procedure or that service to be performed? Well, there's kind of a spectrum of answers to that question, CJ. And I do recall the case you're talking about. It was it was uh, very widely publicized. And a couple of things. A skilled and experienced auditor hopefully will have gained information and knowledge not to make a final decision as far as whether or not a patient should receive something like a cardiac cath, but to the level where they might turn to the appropriately trained clinician and say, this looks excessive to me. Yeah. What do you think? And then that physician can look at the images that show the blockages, right. that show where and how, and can help make that determination. Now, how do you learn that? Uh, we auditors typically are not strongly clinically trained. We are language trained. Gotcha. Yet, after you do it, as many cath reports as, as I've read, 
I've learned what that terminology means right. and how doctors apply it. Now, I can't apply it. I'm not licensed. I, I don't have that, that knowledge or capacity. But we, we can develop a, a sense or a, it's almost a sixth sense to say this just seems excessive. Right. One of the clues would be exact repetition. Yeah. Now, you know, it's okay. It's okay to do things that, you know, in a standard manner. And there's only so many ways to say right. <laughs> that a particular, a particular artery is 65% occluded. I mean, you know, you don't have to invent language. Exactly. But if your sample's big and they're all exactly alike, that's a clue. Yep. The other thing I tell, I caution auditors is be careful. Do not confuse medical decision-making with medical necessity. But, and it's a pretty big but, that left column on the table of risk is the nature of the presenting problem. Right. And the nature of the presenting problem is the closest in the auditing tools that we have besides pure clinical knowledge is the closest alignment to the necessity, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. No, that's that's really good good feedback. Um, let's go back, if if I could, kind of to that ENM that you that you talked about. Um, how how do you so beside of that presenting uh, risk or that kind of initial risk of the presenting complaint? Talk, talk me through a little bit more about what else a, a coder or an auditor should be looking at in that medical decision making um, to make sure that, that they're not going to confuse medical decision making with medical necessity. What other elements of that MDM are in there that, you, that they should be considering? Well, the MDM is, is a, a, a three-component calculation of which two are necessary. I've often said two-thirds of ABC equals MDM, and then explain the ABC. A is the number of um, conditions or differential diagnoses that are considered during that visit. Okay. B is the data that is ordered and or considered during that visit. Right. And, the, and by data, we mean everything from a simple urinalysis to the most complex diagnostic um, radiology procedure that may be ordered right conversations with other with other uh physicians there's, there's a whole list of them and you add up the point values that have been assigned and then the c part is the three column table of risk which includes the nature of the presenting problem the uh interventions that may be or um may be offered and the uh, uh, diagnostic options that could be considered. You put all those three together, you could have A and C, how many things are being considered and what are you doing about it, or A and B, how many things are you considering and how much different kind of data do you need, or even B and C, you could have data and table of risk put together. And that will give you your MDM. Your medical necessity comes from most closely aligned with the single column in the table of the risk, but is not perfectly aligned with any piece yeah, okay. of that puzzle. Gotcha. So I've talked to, I'm curious on what you, if you've worked with clients that have done this, um, 
I've worked in organizations over the years where they've made the arbitrary decision. So like on an E&M that only requires two or three components, right? Like maybe an established patient um, that when, when there's, they've made internal policies to say, look, one of those two, you cannot exclude the medical decision-making. We want medical decision-making to be one of those two in order to get a level. Have you heard of that before? And what are your thoughts about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Lots of people have done that. It's a very conservative approach. Uh, um, I've kind of, in in another role prior to coming to Healthicity, um, in one of my jobs, I did uh, an informal study of cases and just kind of wanted to see if my instinct was correct. Okay. And what I proved to myself, again, not not using scientific method, just kind of sure. kind of following a, a group of things. Sure. Um, was that if if you force the MDM calculation to always drive your code, and you're a multi multi specialty organization, okay, you will probably be undercoding a certain segment of your services. Okay. You won't be overcoding unless you have deficient documentation. Gotcha. I mean, so I always like to look, you know, I learned to audit from a physician. I didn't learn to audit the way we teach it now. Okay. And I always turn my brain on from the bottom up, if you will. I start with, why is the patient here? What did we do for them? What is their prognosis? Kind of that whole necessity MDM place. Okay. And then I go to, quote, the top part of the note and look at the history and examination documentation to ensure that it fulfills the criteria associated with that complexity. Okay. So having learned to kind of think that way, uh, as opposed to the way we talk about it, history exam MDM, right? Um, I, I think has opened my mind to see scenarios just a little bit differently. Okay, so there it, there could and be. I tried to share that. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that there could, if you do that conservative approach, you could be undercoding in certain areas. You could be, and it's unlikely it would cause any difficulty in the other direction. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, in your opinion, it's a very conservative approach. I think so. Uh, and I, I think there's a good reason for it. Um, I, I certainly understand the thought process. Okay. But my, my, my preference is, is we as, as auditors and trainers and advisors and consultants to, to medical professionals really ought to, uh, value the bullseye accuracy most. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so, Charlotte, we're kind of coming up to the end of our time together on this episode, but I want to give you some last uh, few minutes to maybe uh, mention anything else that about this topic of MDM, medical necessity, any closing remarks that you think would be important? Well, CJ, thanks for, for letting me talk about this. This is one of my one of my soapbox topics I love to talk about, and I appreciate um, the opportunity. And I think it all comes down to both our components of billing for medical services, both medical necessity and 
complexity of medical decision making in the evaluation and management world. And both are necessary. We need to be careful to to try not to mix up the language. Right. And I think most of the people who listen to to our podcast are 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 trying to do the right thing. Yep. And and if if we're wanting to do the right thing and and we think about where words can be confused, I think it it helps to untangle some of those language webs that that we get artificially in place. And I I thank you for for bringing that to our folks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time and expertise and kind of a shout out for audit services here at Healthicity. I know they work with many clients on these things. And so if you are struggling with them, with these concepts, uh, please reach out to us and, and to audit services. They, I know they've reached out to me at certain points to help from a clinical perspective on, you know, is it medically necessary even to do the service? And so, and I know they have other experts that they reach out to in different specialties uh, that can help if those are the types of questions you have. And then, of course, uh, if you're in need of some auditing help uh, straight with the medical decision-making, they are experts there as well. So thank you again, Sharla, and thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode. Uh, until next time, uh, do some good coding and, and good compliance. Thanks. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.